Yeah, I can see it. Can you see it? Well, it gives you a sign saying, Oh, I see. Meeting is now streaming live on Facebook. Yes. Hello, everyone. I think we are here and it's good to be with everybody. <laughs> um, we're always about 10 minutes early just to make sure that our stream is okay. So we'll really start talking about the passage at uh, 8 p.m. But as always, I wanted to ask George how things are in Africa. And I do that not necessarily just for a news update, but really gives us an idea and a way to, I think actually to have perspective and to see that this, uh, what's going on is not a United States thing or a Canada thing or a Western um, issue or, or challenge. It's, it's a challenge for the whole world and it has different implications and different issues for different areas, especially things that maybe wouldn't be impacting the West, such as um, maybe food security or uh, access to water or you know, <laughs> the three essential services, basically healthcare. Um, obviously education is disrupted all around the world, but I know it definitely has different impact in places, especially in Africa. And so I'm so thankful, George, for that perspective that you bring to us helps us to pray, helps us to consider what God is doing in other places around the world. So if you wouldn't mind giving us an update. Okay. Thank you, Sam. <clears throat> yes, um, today was again a very eventful day. Every morning when Carolyn and I get up around upper four to five, we, we know that we've got this long list of messages coming in and it is literally every day changing. So in the last 24 hours, for example, Lagos, the biggest city in Africa, went on lockdown. <sighs> I wish we have got much more time to talk about it. But what, a couple of things I want to say. Just want to say, firstly, it's very important for us to understand it's not one size fit all in this situation. And I think that is just in general life, isn't it? We must stop being so stereotyped and think if it works for us, it must work for everybody. But we see this playing out massively in Africa where it is completely different um, things. And in fact, WHO um, wrote a couple of great articles already. So did BBC News on just a whole thing on social distancing, for example and how it is going to be a major challenge. You know, yes. um, I'm sitting here in a beautiful house and me and Carolyn are isolated and we save and we can make many choices. When I stay in Lagos with Hans colleagues, um, they've got a house of four bedrooms, but you've got to understand every bedroom is occupied by a family. So in, in fact, um, some, uh, if you go out at 11 o'clock at night and you stand in the street because the heat is too unbearable to sleep, then um, you will notice that the streets are full of people. In the beginning, I thought it was because those people couldn't sleep. But I discovered, of course, later on that it was because there's not enough physical space to sleep. So people mm -hmm. literally have to make turns to sleep. That's how crowded it is in certain areas in Africa, in a city especially. So imagine now 
you talk about the lockdown. I think the second thing I just want to touch on to give a bit of reality is that I would say absolutely the majority of people in Africa um, are desperately earning the, the um, income on a daily basis. They literally go and buy 10 apples, go to the marketplace, try and sell it, and then go and use that money then quickly and buy wood and sell it somewhere else. And by the right. end of the day, they might have $2 or whatever so that they can right. buy food for the day. Right. And so you talk, when you talk about when I see your country and I see the relief methods and I see all the things that were put in place to help all of us here, um, and I listen to the stories in Africa, it is radically different. In fact, it, it's nearly a, a time bomb if you're going to apply the same rules as you apply. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't apply it. I'm just saying, as believers, we really need to intercede for the church in Africa right now. It is under tremendous pressure. Um, you can imagine how people are knocking down the church doors right now just asking for help and um, yeah and so I can tell you many things but really um, there's uh, we see a completely different playing out of the uh, social distancing and the lockdown in yes. Africa and it's going to have a detrimental impact right. on us maybe just one more quick thing yes um, yes um, it's in 2008 when we had the financial crisis which um, places like in the US and so on, it was nearly like a speed bump, right? And, and then we carried on. If you look at the impact that had on Africa, millions and millions, UNICEF will tell you that, millions and millions of children um, were starvation, it went seriously into starvation, malnutrition, left schools, um, people lost land, um, it had a tremendous impact on the economy and the well-being of Africa as a continent and millions of children lost their future, their education and their um, early childhood development goals. All those things went out of the window as a result of the 2008 financial crisis where other people will refer to it and say um, it's... Uh, it was a bit of a, a challenge and my savings went down or something. So I'm just sharing it again to draw the comparison. It was fatal for us in Africa. Now you can imagine the 2008 financial crisis is a Sunday school picnic to what we're talking yes. about now. And so again, I know it's a language you don't want to talk. Okay, I just want to be very honest about it. The price many, many, many millions of people in Africa, particularly the poorest and the young people, the children, are going to pray, to pay, because we are protecting another layer of the community is a very, very, very high price. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a discussion in your culture, but in Africa, it is huge. It's, it's a big thing that we know that there's going to be a generation that's going to pay a huge price for this. I, uh, I'm concerned that it's almost as if the West is facing this. It's like a tsunami as it comes in. 
it comes in big and then it passes, but the big wave is gonna crush Africa or Bangladesh or India. Um, yeah, that's a good- the poorer good, nations, you yeah. know, so that we, we get hit yeah. with the first wave, but then really the, the full breadth of it, when it passes us and we're all coming out of our homes and we're yeah. making travel plans to go, because what's gonna happen is everyone's gonna wanna travel or everyone's gonna wanna go outside and, yeah. and we're gonna forget but then that's when everything hits. I'm not even talking the disease, but really the economic challenges that are going to come. I'm assuming it's yeah. going to be like that. You know, Sam, if uh, and tonight we're going to talk a bit about drought, but mm-hmm. the, the margin of error that we can tolerate in our existence in Africa, I'm talking about the typical African family unit if you look at across the continent um, the margin of error that we can face before it becomes a major crisis it's such a small margin we're going to hear about it tonight but it's so so thin layer of protection between surviving and running into a major life-threatening crisis and what's busy exploding in africa right now the thing, because it hit the developed world first, and we saw how they panicked. You can imagine what that panic did to us in Africa. Mm-hmm. And now it's busy coming to us. And we think, well, if it is scaring the developed world stuff, what in God's name is it going to do to us? That is a kind of fear that we're dealing with right now in Africa. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, let me pray for us. And then um, if you wouldn't mind reading our passage of scripture today, James sure. chapter five, mm-hmm. verses seven through 11. And uh, if everyone, if you have a Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning there, James chapter five, verses seven through 11, I'll pray for us. Father, we acknowledge that at this time, everything is out of our control and there's only so much we can do. We can plan We can self-isolate, quarantine, um, shelter in place. But if you should decide that the roof should cave in, then that's what will happen. If the earth should open up and swallow us whole, if a tornado should come, when we trust in you, O Lord, you are the safest place. You are our hiding place, not our house, not... Uh, the government, not the World Health Organization or the CDC. You are our hiding place. You are our shelter. You are our ever-present help in times of trouble. So we really ask, oh God, that as we study your word here in James 5, 7 through 11, as we look at uh, the prophets of old, Job, as we consider patience in times of suffering, As we think of ourselves like the farmer who awaits patiently and trusts that no matter how much we do, that we have to rely on the sovereign watering of the lands. You are the only one truly who can heal our land, O Lord. So we entrust our lives, our our hearts to you. We ask that you would lead us through your word by your spirit. And we pray for the humility of being able to be sensitive to what you would have to share with us. 
Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like always, if you have a question, we want to address it. And so if you do have a question, please post it on to the comment section of Facebook, and we will try to answer it. So again, we are going to be reading this passage. George, I just love your voice, especially when it comes to scripture. So that's why, if you notice, I always have you read the passage. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind reading the yes, text sure. for today. Thank you, Sam. Let us hear God's word from the book of James, chapter 5, verse 7 to 11. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmers wait for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So George, um, James's first words are, be patient, therefore. And he links it. So I'm going to do a couple of things. First, uh, talk a little bit about the therefore, because as we talked about in our previous passages, therefore always refers to the previous context. And if we look at James chapter five, verses one through six, James has a very strong words for the rich. And I do think that if we just look at verse one, come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you and your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. These are such strong words and they're words for they're words for people like us, because we in the West, definitely relative to probably the people that you encounter regularly in different parts of Sub-Saharan Africa, I, I would say we are rich. And talk about a time where there is misery and weeping and howling. He's saying this to the church. I mean, this is really to the church. It's to Christians. It's not to non-Christians. And he's saying, be patient. So what do you think it looks like for us to heed James's warning and how that is expressed in patience. And then the second part, so we'll start, stop there, but the second part, I'm gonna allow you to expand a little bit more because I do believe you have a lot more to say on the topic of the illustration that he gives, the analogy, the metaphor of this patience, that patience is like the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth and you have also experienced when it comes to farming and the implications of that and what happens when 
water does come in. We'll talk about that part secondarily, but I'd love to hear what you think about what James is telling us when he says, be patient. It's therefore, especially in the context of what he just spoke about in James 5, 1 through 6. Oh, thanks, Sam. Um, every night we speak, I say to you, <laughs> I'm a picture person. And so um, I just want to take us again for literally one minute back to um, the reason why we're doing all of this. We're doing it because we make a commitment that um, our Father is gracious, we see that, and compassionate, and, and He continued to give us opportunities to turn and to realign and to come back. And that's why we dig deep in this time where perhaps other people will just say to us, um, we should just cry and feel sad. And I think, of course, we must. But I think we want to be committed to say, let us also um, in generations to come look back and say, God has spoken deep into our lives and we've grown. And a picture I want to use is Melody, my eldest daughter. When she was about nine years old, um, we were in a Bible school then, and she was playing, she was swinging on a tree and she fell and she broke her arm in two places, clean. We took her to the emergency and um, a specialist came. He was just by God's grace, he was a specialist on duty. And he immediately said he had to operate. He showed us the x-rays and he operated Melody. And his words to me and Carolyn that night was, the operation was successful, but Melody will never be able to bend her arm straight again. It will always be a few degrees. It will stop. It will be too stiff as a result of the clean breaks. Just to get a quick disclaimer on South African doctors, we were the first guys who did a heart transplant. <laughs> And if you speak into Canada and Australia and New Zealand, every second doctor is a South African and they are highly regarded across the world. So don't have a picture here of we, we've got good doctors. Okay. But and Melody so, has become. She's well, that's what I want to tell you. You see, so yes. Melody, nine years old, Carolyn took Melody home and she said, because Melody had a dream to become a doctor right from that age. And Carolyn mm. said to Melody, well, we're going to have to work hard on this. Um, I know that's what the doctor said, but we don't have to accept that. Mm. And, you know, I can remember every night before she goes to bed, Carolyn will push her arm further and further and then massage it and push it. And mm. Melody will cry when Carolyn did it. I will never forget. I would sit there and cringe when I, I was busy reading to the kids um, books, you know, from C.S. Lewis, and then Carolyn will do it afterwards. And, oh, there's always tears. But to cut a long story short, you know where I'm going with this. Melody made a full recovery. Her arm is 100% straight. In fact, I spoke to her last night. She is in surgery right now doing it, and she's in a... Um, She's in the response team on the uh, coronavirus in Namibia at the moment. She is still living a dream, but she defied the crisis that was given to her. She and Carolyn decided they are going to push through it and they're going to make the best of it. And constantly we spoke about this and from the beginning we said there's two ways to look at it. To be paralyzed by it, by fear, or to look at that and to say, I've got a good God. And out of this, something good can come. But I want to, I want to push myself into that. And so tonight, when we speak about things like the stern warning about the reach, 
it's not to judge. If God wants to judge us, he'll judge us. You won't have to do it by the way or indirectly. This is not God's judgment when he speaks to his people. This is God's love to them. And he's saying to them, see this. I want you to see. To see what? To see, if you read those verses, to see how you hold, how you hold onto, how you put your trust. It's not that you make money. It's not that you're successful. It is how you put your confidence and your trust in those riches. That is a problem. Because if you look at from verse 7, it completely turned around and it speaks about be patient, therefore, and watch out for the coming of the Lord. That the coming of the Lord is obviously the, the picture James is trying to give him there is, are you focused on eternal things? Are you focused on what's coming? Or are you so gripped by the gold that's in your hand right now that it, you got cold fever, it blinded you. You cannot mm -hmm. see the eternity, the life that has been given to you. And I think that's a message that, that James is trying mm -hmm. to bring through here in a, in a beautiful way to yes. specifically the rich people. Yes. Well, what's interesting is that he takes verse four, behold the wages of the laborers yeah. who mowed your fields, which you kept yeah. back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So, you know, it's interesting. He's using the same field farming metaphor in both yeah. parts, verses one through uh, six and verses seven through 11. And exactly what you said is that it's not the fact that they've made money off the fields. It's that they have, that's their identity. It's, it's their worth. And because of that, the way it's expressing itself is the injustice towards those who are working and who are under and, them. Yeah. Right. And maybe, yeah, exactly, Sam. And maybe it is talking about how you keep the wages back from the poor to mm -hmm. say, can you see how far you've gone? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I meet so many people from foreign countries coming to Africa. And then we normally take them to an African market to go and buy art, you know, things to take home. And I'm always fascinated how they will see this old grandmother selling whatever she's selling and how they will stand there and bargain her down to where she just about don't even come out even. You know, they will be so proud of the fact that it was $15 and they fought her down to $10. And I'm not, Jen, I'm telling you, this is across the board that I've seen over 20 years. But I've never heard of an American or any other nation going into the, uh, another American shop and bargaining with them about the price that's in the shop. There, that's fair, that they will pay. But the moment we connect with the poorer, the more vulnerable, there's a if there's a hunger in us for money, it's my money, I want to get as much out of it as I can. The moment you connect with somebody more vulnerable, if that is your attitude, that is how it will play out. And so in South Africa, um, that's very strong part of our history. Right through the apartheid government. Um, and, you know, I've met many grandmothers that would tell me 
that they would work on the surrounding farms, white-owned farms in South Africa, and these women would work for um, $2 a day, less. They would work for nothing, but they can't, they can't bargain because they are poor and they're desperate. And so they would be taken advantage of massively. Even when refugees crossed into our country, uh, many of the farmers and businessmen would target, and I think it happens in your country also, they would target the refugees because they've got no bargaining power. Right. And they would suck the money out of them. They would pay mm. them as little as possible. You know, they don't even know the difference on their balance sheet at the end of the month. That's how little it is. But it makes them feel so big and good because God has become, money has become their God. Mm. And so they use that. They, they want to hold on to more and more. And that injustice that those people do to the refugees, man, Sam, they're going to pay a huge price one day. Mm. It's, it was, Jesus spoke a lot about it. And he said, man, what you've taken from them, you have literally taken from me. I am taking it so personal. When you did them in, you did me in. And I think that is in that theme that Sam is speaking to the rich and he's saying, I challenge you, consider how stingy you are or how hard you are on those who can't defend themselves when you use your riches. That's where you would think that, um, I mean, he talks about it twice in verse seven, verse eight, <laughs> the coming of the Lord, you know, that be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord meaning that there is a, another way that we can even face poverty or injustice. And so it's almost like there's two different angles that James is taking. One is mm -hmm. um, he's speaking to the wealthy and to the rich, and especially even to believing wealthy and mm -hmm. reminding them that, hey, you are, this is, a, you're a steward you're not, this is not your treasure. This is the Lord's. And then he's sort of saying almost to say, okay, now let me speak to those who are suffering. Those who perhaps are in positions where they're being taken advantage of. And certainly the New Testament church, you had a, a very wide range of Christians, yeah. just like the church today, but maybe even more so actually, because, you know, the gospel is being understood for the first time. You're having Lydia, who's wealthy, and then you yeah. have the Philippian jailer, and you have a slave girl who's possessed by a demon and now free. Yeah. And so they're all becoming one church. And it's a, it's a challenging place to actually mm -hmm. be united in Christ. And so James, it seems like he's talking to Christians who are perhaps in more um, advantageous from a world's perspective, positions financially, as well as in power, but as well as okay, here's the message though. If you are struggling, if you are suffering, or maybe it will be, you know, so there, it, it seems like there's different variances and, but the key is the coming of the Lord that, that there is truly yeah. a day of reckoning. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's not going to be this way all the time. The sense of injustice, the sense of, um, you know, where there's uh, the hungry yeah. and it, it's going to end one day. Yeah. And how do we, how do we exhibit how does someone who maybe is in 
a challenging time exhibit patience? And what does that look like to you? Sam, your internet was just a little bit unstable oh, right at the what end. Is, just the last sentence. Yeah, what does patience look like to you yeah. or someone who is a who is struggling, who is yeah. being taken advantage of, or um, yeah. or even for the wealthy person, like who yes, exactly. has to yeah. wake up, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think just first of all, for the for the wealthy person, I would say this message that James is giving you, and he constantly speak about being patient, and he constantly speak about and the Lord's coming. So he's trying to bring that. Then he used these amazing words. He's saying, establish your heart. Isn't that beautiful? Establish your heart. He said, be patient, be patient. Twice he said, be patient. And then he said, establish your heart. For me, that that is... You know, riches, I think, is, is constantly short-term, instant. I want to make profit. I want to win. I want to gather more. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's come, 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 let's push. Uh, James is saying, yeah, man, you, you've got a different thing to go here. Yeah. Um, I referred to that in Sunday when I spoke about Eugene Peterson saying, obedience, um, it's, it's long obedience in the same direction. That that is what he's talking about here. He's talking about the early rains and the late rains. You know, the early rains is you can't plant before the early rains come. And in Africa, oh my goodness, do we pray from September. You know, Sam, I referred to that um, margin of error that we have in Africa between surviving and a total crisis. If I can contextualize that, if the rain comes two weeks late and we've planted we are in a total crisis that's how little the margin is so the first rains we trust when it falls we because we plow the ground then we wait and when it starts falling we plant but then it must be followed with that early rains and if it doesn't come that seed doesn't grow then after that this the plant the maize plant starts growing but there's still no fruit. You can't eat the plant. The, the fruit, the cop of the maize, only grows when the latter rains come. So there's a time where you can see the maize plant growing. It might even be four feet high. And everybody looks at it and we're excited about it. In Africa, sometimes we've got what we call a green drought. It looks good. But underneath the soil, it's, there's a drought. And those people that know, that can read the signs well, they will say, guys, we are in trouble. But it doesn't look like it to the ordinary person. But they can see that unless the moist hit the soil very soon, that green drought is going to turn into a severe drought overnight. Mm -hmm. Or that plant, that maize plant that's four feet tall, Sam, I have seen maize fields as far as your eye can see. It looks beautiful. Then I will drive past there again four weeks later after I've been out of the country and I come back. And I look at this maize fields and I will know it's a total disaster. There's no harvest. 
because the farmers were waiting for the latter rain. They were patiently waiting for that rain that brings that harvest to the plant. As Christians, we, we want everything instant. It doesn't work like that. Once we get saved, once we come into the kingdom, that's when that seed starts growing to bear the fruit, to bear the fruit that you and I were called to bear. That is long obedience in the same direction, trusting and waiting for the latter rains to come. And I think that's, that's a, a picture that I can see in here. And I see it play out in Africa physically, constantly, year after year. If you ask me which drought would I prefer, a physical drought or a spiritual drought, by what I have seen and the devastation, I think a spiritual drought is most probably worse than a physical drought. Because a physical drought, there seem to be all of us are waiting for the next rains to come and we're going to trust God again. A spiritual drought seems to be something that goes on for seven years kind of thing. It goes from, if we look at us right now, and I think that's a grace window we have. If we look at us, what happened in the last decade or two, it's so easy for us to judge the world out there. Look at the, um, the sexual immorality and the mm -hmm. state that we are in. Look at the, the um, anti-pro-life movements and things. Look at those things and we can judge them, but we've got to confront ourselves. The Bible says judgment starts within the house of the Lord. We've got to ask ourselves, how did it get, who gave him that platform? What happened to us? Where was our prophetic voice? Where was the John the Baptist that spoke to the Herods and said, you cannot do that? Where were we? If there are so many of us, where were we? We've got to accept that responsibility in this time. And we've got to say, how can we break the spiritual drought in this time and mm -hmm. trust God for the latter rain to come? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a, that's a great segue into this um, second part of verse seven. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And he's basically saying that we need to be patient. And he says, here is an illustration of what patience looks like. And I think farming is such an interesting aspect of it because you can have the best soil, the best seed, best location, you can have the sun, and yet if God doesn't send the rains, no fruit at all. And I know you have experienced this personally, um, probably much more. I mean, we might have grown our own little gardens here and there, but what hands does is they grow gardens and I've seen them all around uh, the different communities for the orphans. And, um, and then there are, there have been real seasons of, of that drought that you're talking about. And yeah, I don't understand a phrase like until it receives the early and the late rains, but you just described early and late rains. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what this looks like. And I also have some pictures that you, that you want to show and maybe you could describe some of the situations that you've experienced in in uh, different communities that ANS is a part of and 
what, what patience looks like. What is James saying? We need to be this patient. Yeah. Yeah, a draft is rough, Sam. It's heartbreaking to, to be in the midst of a draft in Africa, um, to see children um, scratching on rubbish just to try and find food. Um, it's, it's incredible to see how something like um, rain that we trust in God for so much that, um, yeah, that we, without that, that we are in serious trouble. And what it does to us as we... Um, um, I'd like to show that picture of that child. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just lost my picture. So I'm, you, you do that. Yeah. yeah, yes. So you were talking about a child during oh, a drought, there, there scratching go, yeah. for food. Yeah, that was actually in a drought. That's, that's exactly what, you know, what we're looking at. Um, so that's the kind of thing that you see. Now, you've got to hear well what I'm saying now, because out of context, it can be grossly misinterpreted. But in a sense... For us to see a child suffering like that, for us to see, um, you know, our care workers, when they try to put food together for hundreds of children and they hardly have something to cook with, for us to see these pictures, it, it takes us so close to God. It brings us so to a place where we understand our dependence unless God comes in. We are gone. We are not going to survive here. We are not. There is not the next season. Sam, we call it the hunger season. Literally in Africa, that's what we call it, the hunger season. It's a season you go to um, our feeding points and you will see children standing 10 meters away from our care points, staring at our children eating, hoping that they will leave something. And we don't have food to give them. We don't. We are stretched to the limit. We're already feeding uh, maybe 180 children and we only have funding for 120. So we already go with 60 over. And then you get all these others staring inside. Now you watch that as a believer of God and you understand spiritual poverty suddenly very deep. Mm -hmm. the, the pain that that physical poverty uh, and drought is bringing to that community drives us to our knees. We literally fall on, I mean, I think it's a photo of that we took in one of the villages where we literally fall on our knees before God. And we say, Lord, unless you bring rain, even out of season, you know, the latter rain in the Middle East is over spring. And, and the Bible constantly speak about that. When it refers to the latter rain, it actually say, God say, and I will even bless you with latter rain. You know, it's a, we see latter rain that forms the fruit on the, on the plant. God speaks in the Bible about it as, that's my grace to you. Mm -hmm. It's actually not supposed to rain then, but I, I'm going to pour it out on you anyway. Mm -hmm. But it's every time you read in the Bible, it is because people seek God. It's because people humble themselves before God. And so what we need to cry for right now is for the latter mm. rain to come. Mm. We need to say, Lord, yeah. we are as desperate as, as we see that photo of that child scratching in a rubbish dump. 
that's exactly us. Mm -hmm. That's me. Hmm. Yeah. Now, what's happening here? You know, I can't see at the moment. I kind of lost. <laughs> so, I'm glad you can still hear me because, oh, there I go. Okay, sorry, I can see it now. Um, <laughs> technical disability from my side. Um, these are care workers. Now, let me just put the context. When I say care workers, those of you that don't know, they are lay people. They are just women. These women sitting here are grandmothers who've got many orphans at home. They've got fields. They walk for hours to go and get their own clean water every day. If it doesn't rain, they themselves don't eat. Yet every day they come to our key points and they cook for our children. They get nothing out of it, nothing. They all live under the bread line. Then they cook for us and then they go home. But sometimes we don't have food and they don't have food. When there's a drought, all of us are on the same boat. And they will still come and make the fire and they will bring plants sometime to cook. But these women are so close to God and the reality of the suffering of the drought is so real to them. It's so on them that they are, they are clearly depending on God for a miracle unless they cannot see another plan. And I think that is as tough as that is in Africa. That is our salvation. That's our blessing. We are not so well off that we forgot about God. And these are children walking. And, you know, these kids walk for, at, I know exactly, I was there. I am, that is in Goma. They walk for at least an hour and a half with those big containers of water. The water that they take is graded, dirty water. Then they come down every morning and they carry this water back. That water is to drink, to bath, everything. When it doesn't rain, they don't have water. Many, many of them run completely out of water. Some grandmothers will go to the um, place where there's one water hole in the community. They go at three o'clock in the morning, half past three, to, to beat the cattle to the water so they can get water before the cattle go there. So if it's, not, if it's a drought, there's no water, there's no cattle, there's no harvest. So you can imagine these people, how desperate they are holding onto God in his goodness. And I've never heard one of them ever saying, where's God? Never. Mm. It's, it's, it's just remarkable. I really trust that all of us will have the privilege to meet these people like this grandmother. Um, you can see she ate peanuts. They sit lying in front of her. She was literally, when I met her, she was living on peanuts. That's all she had to eat. Nothing else. There's no, I mean, nothing else. Um, and yet when we sat down, she said, can we sing? And we sang a favorite song and not a word of complaint from her. It's unbelievable, Sam. It's really, yeah. it's humbling for me. I see myself as a rich person. Yes. compared to this grandmother. It's so humbling for me. And every time I meet these people, I say, Jesus, I need the latter rain. My drought is severe. My, mm. um, I am in mm. for a total, I'm not going to have a harvest. I might look like I'm five foot tall with green plants, but where is my, where's my fruit? Where's that cop? 
that kop only comes with the latter rain. And the latter rain comes when we humble ourselves before God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Ah. <laughs> the snake story. We'll save that for another time. Yes. Yeah. Let's stick Ooh. with a beautiful woman crying. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. that is a humbling, yeah. humbling, but really excellent reminder of all that God is doing. Yeah. Um, here's the thing is that what you just talked about, James is saying, be patient like this. Now, here's a, what is it like? Tell me what it's like when it actually does rain. You've been praying, oh, Lord, <laughs> give us rain. And then the rain starts coming. What, what yes, is that like? Yes, yes, you can imagine, Sam, when that rain falls, nobody goes into their huts. Nobody, everybody is just outside dancing. Literally, literally, the church is packed to the room. People are worshiping and praising and giving thanks to God. And, and let me just mm -hmm. tell you about a grandmother that, uh, unfortunately, she passed away uh, last year, but I was very close to her from Zimbabwe in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Sam, she lived the most toughest life you can imagine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I connected well with her and always went to go and stay in a, where she stayed when I stayed in Zimbabwe. But one day I surprised them. They didn't know what was coming. And they had a great harvest that year. They had a beautiful harvest. Even Gogo Esther, that's her name. She had an amazing harvest. <clears throat> and so I went into the church and I sat in the back. Nobody saw me coming in. Literally sat right in the back. And people were giving testimony after testimony, praising God mm -hmm. of the harvest. And it was just so beautiful. And this Gogo Esther, who got a good harvest for the first time in a number of years, she went to the front. Uh, sorry, the pastor said, we just want Gogo um, Esther to come to the front. We want to pray for her. And we just want to thank Gogo Esther because she gave half of her harvest. To hands at work to feed the orphans that year. You know, I sat in the back and I just got up and I walked out and I just wept. But you know why I wept, Sam? I didn't weep because the go Esther did it. I wept because I could not do it. I was looking at the gold in my head. You know, I can throw a coin here or I can spend time with Jesus here for a bit. And if something goes wrong, I question God, where are you? Why is this happening? And yes, this old grandmother who's got a hut full of children and she gets a harvest and the first thing she does, she gives half of it away. Unbelievable. That's, that's the hearts in Africa when the rain comes. The first thing they think of is who can we bless? Who can we give to? How can we let others have? It's beautiful. <sighs> humbling you know yeah. at this time where we, we've been talking about it a lot where it's so tempting to hunker down protect what you have and here you have gogo esther who is at her most vulnerable state and she is giving half of which isn't much right it really is you know the the story of the widow's might exactly yeah. it's the same story and there are that story is uh, George Whitfield tells a story about John Wesley where uh, he says, 
you know, John Wesley, when on the when uh, we're all with the Lord in glory, John Wesley is going to be putting his head on the bosom of Jesus, and I'm going to be way in the back staring. Oh, I think I see John Wesley. I think Google Wester is going to be near putting her head exactly. on Jesus' bosom. Go, exactly. Who is that? Google Wester. Exactly. I always say I've got. I'm going to have some contacts in heaven. I'm going to have some people that can pull strings for me. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's it's beautiful to see that. And, uh, yes. Yes. So that patience, you know, you said the celebration after the rain comes. James is saying we need to be like that, spiritually speaking, yeah. even, right? Yeah. To have that type of patience, to be crying out to the Lord, oh Lord, hear, our, hear us, and waiting and trusting in him, right? Trusting that he is going to answer us. It's not, this is not just fantasy, this is reality. Um, so, he says then in verse eight, you also be patient. And you talked about it earlier, establish your hearts. And I, I looked up that idea um, the, to establish or to strengthen your heart. It's a command. He's actually telling us we must do this. We must strengthen. We must. We talked about it earlier where we were talking about a faith that is, uh, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a faith that at your conversion should you still need that faith throughout your life. You need it on your deathbed. You need it all the time. Another thing that I, I saw is that the establishing, the, that word is actually repeated numerous times in the New Testament. Second Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And then First Peter 5, 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So what's interesting, George, and I, I would love for you uh, to comment on this, is that here James says, I, Sam, have to command, establish my heart. So guard it, uh, walk in faith. But then Paul says, the Lord is going to establish you. Yes. That both yes. are happening concurrently. Exactly. It's not yeah, exactly. either or, it's both and. Yes. What do you think yeah. about it? What does that look like? Exactly. And you know the beautiful picture of that that I can see, which is very applicable to us right now, mm. would be, um, it's in Luke, I believe, where um, Jesus spoke about build your house on a rock. We think it's just for a Sunday school song. It's actually an amazing story. But anyway, the, the Luke version, I I'm pretty sure it's the Luke version, is going a step further as only a doctor can do. <laughs> but, but he's saying, dig deep, dig into the sand. Get rid of the sand until you find the rock. So Jesus is saying, I am the rock. I am the stabilizer. You built your house on my rock, you will not be shaken. So I am providing that stability, you can't. I am the one that's absolutely true. But you are there, your role is to remove the sand that is between you and the rock. And so right now in this world, in this moment of grace, I want to say it again, this moment of grace, 
in the strategy that we are dealing with, I want to ask you and myself, what sand is between you and the rock that we are so shaken, that we are so fearful, that we are so anxious, that we are so uncertain? And how honest can we be with ourselves tonight, even after this talk, and sit down? I know we've got deep thinkers listening tonight. And sit down and write down what make, exactly makes you fearful and anxiety and give you anxiety. What is it? Name it. Don't just say, I'm anxious. Name it. Mm. Sam, when Jesus healed the man on the mat, he said to him, you are healed, get up. Today we say, I know you are hurting. I'll come and pet you and you just stay down there. Jesus don't want us down there. He wants us up. He wants us healed. And I think for us to do that, we need to see why are we not stable? There's a lot of this, what is the word? It's an unstable, there's a lot of instability at the moment. Isn't that the right word, right? There's a lot of instability at the moment in a market, in a political sphere, in a churches, we hear stories, I mean, myths, all that stuff. Why are you unstable? Why are you worried? Why are you not patient? Why are you not getting up in the morning and just find your peace and walk your walk? Because eternal, nobody can steal your eternity. Nobody can do those things. So if you are shaken, it's not to judge you, it's to try and help you and to say, there's sand between you and the rock. Get rid of that sand. You will be stable on a rock. Yes. And I think the promise of the Lord is that, and you're not going to do it alone. No. He's there. Yes. And he will strengthen you and he will carry you and he will, yes. you know, I love Isaiah 40, you know, even youths grow tired yes. and weary, young men yeah, and yeah. women stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. He will help them to soar on wings, on eagles, yeah. on eagles' wings. And I think that is the power of our God. He's not out there to make yeah. us feel miserable. Like that's not his yeah. end goal. Yeah. The last verse say um, mm -hmm. how the, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose, listen, the purpose of the Lord. Yes. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to anger and rich in love on all that is made. Mm -hmm. He's ready. We spoke a lot about it in the last few weeks. He's ready for you. If you want to come home, he is waiting. He's absolutely standing at the door and knocking. He's ready for you. So what is your role? It is to say, maybe I should go back to my father's house. Maybe I should let go of the things of the pigs. This thing's where I've been. Maybe it's time for me. And some of us might even say, Lord, I will be your slave. I tell you, he will not accept that. He will put a ring in your finger and sandals on your feet, yes. a rope over you, and he will feast. Heavens will celebrate. That is our God. So what is our role? Is to recognize our drought, to name it on its name, 
It is for our own good that we call it on its name. We want doctors to diagnose us. We want people to help us. If I come to you and I say, Sam, help me. You'll say, I'm your friend, George. I'll help you. What do you want? I can't just say, help me. What do you want? I'm stuck. Can you pull me out? That's our role. Come to your father. You've got, you can have confidence that he will lovingly reach out to you, but you've got to talk to him about it. Mm. this is uh, verse nine do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged it's interesting how you know that at first glance that verse seems out of place but yeah. it's not out of place yeah. Yeah. it's exactly where it needs to be that the temptation when we are struggling when we're in a situation because if you if you have to be patient that means you're dealing with hardship it could be a hard person, a hard circumstance, a hard trial, a painful trial. And don't you think that it is so tempting in the midst of that to, or the word that, another word that's used is groaning. Like, like it's, it's easy to start feeling um, frustrating, you know, where so many people are grumbling against one another because now we're stuck grumbling against the government, grumbling against, there's someone to complain about, something to say, I shouldn't be in this situation. And and it really wars against patience, right? It really says, I don't, does it say I'm not trusting God? I don't really believe that he is sovereign over this, that he is going to use this for my good, that he is purposeful in all these things, which is what you just talked about when it comes to the steadfastness of Job, who was a clear example of someone who, and we all know how Job, if you've ever read the book of Job, how it ends up, you know, he repents in dust and ashes and, and God bring, brings him home. You know, he welcomes yeah. him. So why is grumbling such the temptation during this time? Do you think it's, it's, um, it's taking us right back to Adam and Eve, you know? Yeah. It wasn't me, it was Eve. It wasn't me, it was a snake, you know? Um, somebody else must be blamed. I'm innocent. Uh, why, why must I take the rap here? Why must I stand guilty? And Sam, that speaks to the core of our rebellion. Mm. And if I may say this, I know it's, it's not good to hear in the beginning, but just think what I'm saying. We don't like the idea that we are saved absolutely by grace, undeservingly. Man, we're desperate just to say, I've seeked, I've worked hard, I've prayed, I've pushed, I've lived well. It's nearly offending, although we will never say it, for us to hear that we were a total lost. We were an accident looking for a place to happen. We, there was no hope for us. And in the midst of that, we were saved. Now, if you look at Job, you know, the two verses in Job that always jump to me when I think of him. One is, even if you slay me, yet will I worship you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's, isn't that incredible? Um, yeah. Words from Job. And, but then Job say, um, I th- yeah, I'm going to quote now. I'm gonna, if I'm not right, please help me. But I think he said, I've heard of you, but now I've seen you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And this is a time for us. Job saw God in the midst of a crisis. Mm-hmm. He experienced a huge personal crisis, tragedy. We were look, you know, the guy who wrote, 
um, it's well with my soul, right? Mm -hmm. He went through such a deep personal tragedy. And when he was on the boat and I showed him where his wife and daughters died, he walked outside and he wrote that. It is many times, it is you can choose in a midst of a crisis, is that going to become a pivotal, amazing point of growth for you, where you declare God's goodness and you say, I've always just heard about you, but even in this crisis, I've seen you. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes. So I, I want to cover two more things. One is a question, and I'll yeah. ask the question and then cover one last thing. Um, the question is from Stephen. Stephen. Yes, Stephen Joe. Oh, so, oh, Stephen Joe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. I know a few Stephen, so. <laughs> so, yes, that's right. You do know a few Stevens. Yes, this is from Stephen Joe. So, how, okay, I didn't phrase this question. It's a, I can't imagine Stephen writing it this way. How much we give? <laughs> how should we give? How much of our wealth should we give to the kingdom? Oh, okay, this question's a little off. How much we give of our wealth to his kingdom is such a relative thing. But are there practical ways to self-assess if we're being good stewards of God's financial blessings in our life? <laughs> you know, yeah. that question, I understand yeah. what Stephen's saying. Yeah. How, yeah much of, how much we give of our wealth to his kingdom is such a relative thing. But are there practical ways to self-assess if we're being good stewards of God's financial blessings in our life? Yeah. Meaning, so... When I hear that question, it's interesting. I do think there is a, a little bit of a, and not, not, nothing against you, Stephen, <laughs> but there is, it's almost like the questions that, um, like the rich young ruler would ask, you know, I've been able to do, I've, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If I do this, 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 is that good enough? How will I be able to evaluate whether that's good enough? And I almost feel like whenever we ask a, what do I need to do to really understand how I should respond to my financial situation? Does God really want me to give away everything? It's almost those times where I wonder if God is going to press us by saying, well, are you willing to do that? Really? What do you think? Because Jesus really challenged that rich young ruler to say, all right, go yeah, sell yeah. all your possessions. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know ultimately if only Jesus knows the answer to this question of whether he really was going to ask him, like he was going to truly have him do it. But one thing I do know is that Jesus knew his heart completely. So there's no way to fool Jesus. He couldn't say, I'm willing yeah. to give everything but in his heart not willing to if he yeah, was yeah. really willing yeah. to and yeah. ready to knowing the way jesus was because you know he called peter to leave his boat come and follow me but later on we see that he's at his mother and peter's mother-in-law's house so to me that's almost a picture of jesus isn't telling peter well don't worry about your wife forget him leave her it doesn't matter don't worry about your family, but he does want us to really leave our families. He does want us to leave everything behind. And if we're not always ready to do that, 
then are we really understanding what Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about in the cost of discipleship, which I think is just what the Bible, the gospels talk about when it means following Jesus. What do you think about that? That's a, I, I, this is complex. I know it's, I understand what uh, Stephen's saying. I think it's, a, it's very much, it's very much a, a relational issue, very much. So I always say to people when I talk about money and I hate it because when I start talking about it, <laughs> I see just windows going down. But when I have the opportunity and I talk about it, the first thing I say to them, poverty and riches is relative. In other words, I walked through Africa at one stage in my life. I had a backpack with two pairs of underpants, two socks, a, a T-shirt and a jean. And somebody tried to steal my backpack. And I want to tell you, I fought them tooth and nail. I was, there were eventually, there was maybe three of them. I overcame, I beat the daylights out of them because that was my bag. Do you understand? And that's all you had. That's that all, I had, all you had. But yeah. it was my riches. You see, and so I can only speak to a guy and say, why have you got three cars? Why, why do you need three houses? In, in, a, in a world that we face today, as a follower of Christ, how the heck can you justify that? I can only say that to him. If I myself are constantly confronted, George, why do you have $10? When, when you see. And so for me, that generosity is, for me, it's all about generosity. That generosity, I can only live out if I constantly, constantly go back to ground zero and think of Jesus' generosity towards me and how that should mm -hmm. influence my life every day. When I, mm -hmm. I'll be very honest with you, when Carol and I see, a, if we go to a restaurant or whatever, we, we nearly challenge each other to see who can say the longer, the, the, the biggest amount to give to the waitress. And sometimes, for us, it's big. I'll be, you know, it's like I would give sometimes more than what I, but I'm not trying, all I'm trying to say is all of us are wrestling with this consistently. Mm -hmm. Some people will say, well, it's not how much you give, it's how much you keep. And how do you justify what you keep? Um, I have met CEOs. One man I met was a very, it was a heart surgeon in New York. But when I met him, he drove a 1.6 Toyota Corolla and um, he lived in a simple house and his children went to public schools and he just said that's how he he gave away nine tenths and he kept one tenth that's not a rule but for him that's what kept him on the edge of his relationship with God he didn't need that I think many times worldly mm. people are teaching us you know, I don't know um, where Bill Gates stands with the Lord. I don't have a clue. But what I hear of his house and things like that, they, 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 they understand that this thing can grip your heart. Once you get to, I agree with you, once you get to a question where you say, well, how much do you want me to give? It's not yours. Think about, may I just close with this thing? Think about it for a moment. Why do you have what you have? It is when you were born, where you were born, and who educated you. 
you had nothing to do with that. If I was born exactly at the same time as you, and I was born in Zambia in a village, and or if people was born exactly where you were born, um, everything, but it was two decades before you, they had no chance. They had no chance. For you, I nearly want to speak this language. A coin was flipped and it fell on heads for you and it fell on tails for me. If I'm a woman in Zimbabwe and I'm asking you, if that quail fell on tails for you, what will you say to me if it fell on heads for me? That is your answer. Mm. It is a massive privilege. It's got yes. nothing to do with yes. you. Well, I also think that when you, uh, during the message on Sunday, you, you know, you had uh, the beautiful Carol and Snayman stand on the wall and point to a little dot and uh, she did your, well. <laughs> your lovely assistant, uh, your, your lovely assistant pointed to the dot on the wall right. and, uh, <laughs> and you were talking about how that dot is our lives and the wall and even bigger than the wall is eternity. Right. And um, if, if we are clinging to our resources, that's that. Uh, so on that dot is even a smaller part of that dot. But yet before us is this infinite wall of riches. And I'm not talking money. I'm talking about the blessings of our satisfaction, which is what riches are always meant to be. Satisfaction, security, joy. Why we, we do get still so caught up with this is, and I, I'm just as guilty. I, I'm not speaking as someone who has mastered this. I am struggling. And I sense the self-centeredness and, and the greed and the, the sense of, you know, the security that resources and money brings. And so, but if we really believe that what you said, that that dot is our life and our riches are a small portion of that dot, it's just ludicrous when you think about it that way, right? It, it doesn't make sense. Two, you know, in 2 Corinthians, we Paul speak about giving, right? 2 Corinthians 8. Mm -hmm. He speak about giving to the poor church. I think, you must go and check this thing because I haven't prepared on that, but I think he used the word giving and he calls it the grace of giving four times. In, in one or two verses, he said, mm -hmm. God has given you the grace of giving, the grace of giving. Giving is a grace. God has given you the incredible privilege to have something that entrusted with you and he say, can you let it go? Can you give it? And so uh, giving is an act of grace. That's what the Bible say. Giving is an act of grace. And so if you and I give, we display the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives, and we bring it to other people's lives. Tonight, I want to tell you, I countless people over the last 24 years that I saw coming to a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ because people that I know around me and that were graciously giving, that practiced that gift of grace, and it turned into a place where they understood the grace of Jesus. And so the Bible say giving is an act of grace. And that has been put in your hand, in my hand. What a privilege. But it will always be difficult because 
Romans 8 speaks about, whoa, what a rich man am I? It's always that thing between an old man and a new man. That battle is going on the whole time. So we shouldn't feel content when we struggle, but identify it, call it on its name and make a choice and say, mm -hmm. as the new man, I want to practice the grace of giving. Because yes. I've never given and not felt good after that. Never. Never. Whenever I give, especially when it goes way beyond my ability, I walk away and I'm so thankful. I, I think mm. I've just changed somebody's life. I mean, it is incredible privilege. Mm. That is what it is. It's a gift of grace. Mm -hmm. Amen. I wish we could talk for another hour because <laughs> there is a major point that we need to talk about the idea of we talked about it death and especially what it means to be there when someone's dying what are those last words so i'd like to uh next this coming wednesday talk about that a little bit i think that will be really beneficial especially in this season sure. so um if if you have any other questions please post them on facebook we'll try to get them to them next time otherwise uh george if you wouldn't mind closing us in prayer and then we'll yeah. be done Thank you, Sam. Thanks for this evening. For God so loved the world that he gave. The expression of his love came through giving. And then, Lord, you gave each one of your sons and daughters the incredible ability that we can give. We can give through our lives, through our prayers, through so many ways into this broken world. We can so deeply I just thank you so much for that tonight. Father, I pray that as in Africa, when we experience drought, we are becoming so vulnerable before you. Our dependence on you is so clear and visible. We call upon your name day and night. I pray, Lord, for all of us here in the United States and other countries outside Africa, that if we've got a spiritual drought, that we will be as aware of that, especially when it's a green drought. It looks like we are good. We are four feet tall and we look healthy. But like Jesus went to the fig tree and he lifted his leaves and he saw no fruit. And I pray, Father, that if there's no fruit in us, we thank you that the gardener will tilt it again for another year and I pray that we will allow that. Thank you, Jesus, that you prune us, you care for us, you look after us. You are the gardener. We invite you tonight into our lives. Work in us, gardener. We want to bear fruit. We want to display your beautiful and your grace. Bless each one of us tonight, Lord. Those of us who are anxious, those of us who've got people that we know that are sick and I pray for the peace of Jesus over each one of you. I pray that you will hold fast unto his promises. I pray that God will give you the strength to become a light in this dark time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, George, so much. Thanks, everybody, and Thank hope to see you again on Wednesday. Have a good Please. night. Bless you.